0: Welcome disciple makers and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies 6 main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long, for ongoing training in your ministry area. This year's conference features keynote speakers Fred Luter, Michael Catt, Todd Bulsinger, and Robbie Gallaty, as well as online and in-person regional events. Learn more at www.thesparkconference.com. We also have learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org discipleship. Don't forget you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast or podcast. Thank
1: you for engaging and welcome to our Georgia Baptist Discipleship family. So I'm super excited for you to hear from our today's guests, Dr. Dan Spader and Ray Sullivan. So Dr. Spader grew up in South Dakota, uh, in a farming area, he's, uh, I think, number 14 or 15 of 16 children in his family, and we'll, uh, we'll let him talk a little more about that in a moment. And today, um, what we're going to do with Dr. Spader is, is walk through this life of Christ, some of the things he's learned, and just super excited about that. And that's what really he's done. He's spent his life studying the life of Christ, and he's trained in nearly a million people over 90-plus countries to make disciples through various organizations He's a founder of Sun Life Ministries, currently serves as president of the Global Youth Initiative. Uh, That's an alliance of organizations in 95 countries committed to equipping young leaders for movements of multiplication, very focused in what they do. Well, he's a national speaker. He's the author of Four Chair Discipling, Walk Like Jesus, Live Like Jesus, authored a number of different resources, co-author of Growing a Healthy Church and Everyday Commission, And uh, just super excited to have that wealth of wisdom on with us today. And also joining us today is Ray Sullivan. He's our Southern Regions Discipleship Consultant here at the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. And he just happens to be one of the sharpest leaders I know and one of my most trusted friends. So great to have you guys on with us today.
2: Hey, thank you, Scott. Glad to be here. And Dr. Spader, man, so glad you are joining us on our Discipleship page today.
3: My pleasure. My pleasure. Looking forward to it.
1: You bet. Now, Dan, I understand that of the 16 kids in your family, everybody had this D name going on. Did you guys, cause I think there's one or two that didn't get it. Did y'all like run out of D names? What happened? No,
3: you know, it's interesting. We don't even have a common name, D name like Dave. Uh, so we got all <laughs> kinds of weird names, but yeah, our, our joke was in our family with 16 kids. My, my parents always said in a farm, we raised cattle, pigs, and kids. Oh and, uh, so there were 16 kids. We were always wanted to call the youngest kid done. And that was, the, that was the plan. And I was supposed to be done, but it didn't happen. They had another child. So uh, he was called Dallas. But yeah, it's, uh, my wow. third daughter, Christy, was grandchild number 70 for my parents.
1: Unbelievable. But what a fantastic legacy um, and lots of love yeah. for sure. In uh, that, you
2: could, in you that could reach the nations just by, just by discipling <laughs> your grandchildren. Isn't that true? At, yeah.
1: at, at our family
3: reunion, we had 462 just in-laws and outlaws and nieces and nephews this last summer. Oh, so, wow. and, and, it's, and the neat thing is to see, I, to my knowledge, I was the very first to come to Christ. Obviously we were a very good Catholic family and um. But now probably two-thirds, three-quarter of them are Christ followers, and, mm-hmm. and uh, we have several serving overseas in the Muslim world and other pockets of the world serving Jesus. So God still creates movements of multiplication.
2: Yes. Oh, I love well, Dr. Splinter, one of the things that I learned, Scott, I don't know if you, I, I know you realize this by now, but um, when, when I got the book and started looking, I saw your name is a little bit different, even though it's a D name, because it's got two N's in it. And so I had to learn, you know, you spell it with two N's. What I heard a story and I guess we, I, I want to throw this out there today. I heard this story, but you got to be very careful how you introduce you on the stage. When I say Dan, what, so what happened there?
3: All right. I say Dan, mm. uh, I, I was in the high school. I hated to be called Danny. So try to be cool. I dropped the Y and it stuck. And so one of my favorite stories, I love to tell, because I got a lot of mileage out of it, I was asked to come and speak at the pastor's conference at Moody Bible Institute, and this was still in the days of the secretaries using typewriters, and she accidentally typed in my letter, Dear Dr. D-A-M-N Spader. And so, believe me, I kept that letter for years and got a lot of mileage out of that letter. She was
1: so embarrassed, but uh, I had fun with it.
2: There's a lot of pastors probably been called up before as well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, oh, I'm going to be careful how I speak to text next time I try to call it Dan. Stay here. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, I need to remind yeah. our audience um, just that we're going to do giveaways today, so make sure you leave a comment. And we also want to say thank you, because you guys have downloaded over over 150,000 items from our website, from Instagram, YouTube, podcast, uh, Facebook. As a matter of fact, it's almost at 200,000 downloads. So listen, thanks for engaging with us. And we do, we want to give a a giveaway. So make sure you leave a comment. And for those of you who leave a comment and share today's broadcast, we're going to do a drawing for a $75 gift card. And you just might even get invited to Dr. Spader's um, house to watch the sunrise in lovely San Diego. But uh, hey, will we'll, we open home? Come, come and see. <laughs> well, we we probably won't give that one away. But speaking of sunrise, um, that's about the time that I emailed you this morning, uh, Dan, about about today's broadcast. Uh, forgetting that you were on a different uh, time frame because I think I emailed here it was about seven or eight, and it was like four fifty at your time.
3: That's true, but I'm in. I think it's my farming background. I'm an early riser. I'm up at four every morning, so uh, I I had a lot of time in the word already. So it was a great morning.
1: Oh, fantastic! All right, well, let's jump in, right? I think you got our first question for our guest.
2: Yeah. So, Doctor Spader, one of your uh, one of your books uh, that that uh, was very instrumental for me and helpful for me um, has become really a hot topic as we have our learning communities and we're meeting with different pastors and different leaders, growing a healthy church. So. Let's just jump in here. So what do you see as some of the main elements that need to be present in growing a healthy church? What would you say to our leaders that are watching today?
3: Well, that's a great question in that uh, it it was the first book that I co-authored with a, a person, but we were just starting to help revitalize churches around disciple making. And we felt we needed to put out something. Now, it's an older book. It's been out there for about 20 years. But that really talked about. I like to frame it: a uh, new wine and therefore a new wine skin. And 20 years ago, disciple making was a new wine. Nobody was talking about it. Very few were talking about it. Um, and it's interesting. I, I always say we we sold a lot of copies of that book, but thanks to Rick Warren because right the month the book came out, Rick said the key is not church growth. The key is church health. And so then I show up with a book called Growing a Healthy Church that month. And so everybody <laughs> thought Rick wrote it. So <laughs> but, but we wrestled hard with the life of Christ. One of one of my lifelong study has been on Jesus chronologically. I call it the real Jesus, the fully human Jesus that walked on this earth. I was challenged early on by a professor that I had to study what did Jesus do the first year, what did he do second year, what did he do third year, what did he do fourth year, and study a harmony of the Gospels. And, and we called our youth group at the time. as a youth pastor, brand new Christ follower, been a Christian a year. We called our youth group Sun Life because we're just trying to live the Son's life. Well, in study of the life of Christ, my doctoral work was that, I began to realize that, that there are certain uh, patterns Jesus followed in building a movement of multiplying disciples, and and so that book was trying to capture that. You know how he, for thirty years, prepared himself in terms of mission model methods. Uh, then he laid a foundation the first eighteen months, and we have a some training. We talk on the foundation Jesus laid, the core values of what a disciple maker looks like, and then he developed a team. Most people don't are surprised that eighteen months into it. He chose a ministry team, James, John, Simon, Andrew, and then later on, Peter. And and he poured into that team, taught them how to share their faith. And then two and a half years into it, he chose his 12 and appointed them as apostles to oversee the movement. So we saw in that a five-phase strategy of building a movement, which we teach all over the globe, which every one of the 130 countries we're in now, we measure every year what Phases that country in in terms of building a movement. So we we tried in that book to capture <clears throat> the the new wine of Jesus disciple making and movement building. And then secondly, we tried to say, okay, what's the wine skin that will help contain that wine? Because hmm. if you have the passion of disciple making but have old structures, hmm. they'll ultimately burst. And so, how do you you know I'm. I'm not into programming discipling, but you got to have some kind of program to make disciples. Mm -hmm. To say our program is no program, that means that your program is nothing, you know. So what's the wineskin? How do you develop a disciple-making programming or structure that will aid people in the disciple-making process? So that's what we tried to do in that book, Um, the wine and the wineskin to build a disciple-making movement.
1: And that is worth the price of admission, Doctor Spader, um, and our folks are going to really chew on that. Matter of fact, in our learning communities, I'm going to encourage our guys to really take what was just said and begin to flesh that out because of what it takes to have the new wine skin to handle the new wine. Now,
3: Scott, let it, and, and let me just add here: I, I, you know, so many people say, "Okay, disciple making. I love it. I want it." And then they try within one to two years to build a disciple making yes. structure system in their church and it can't happen it won't happen and i don't want to discourage anybody but my experience of doing this for 13 14 years in the u.s it takes often five to seven years to change the the wine skin the values and then build a oh you know the wineskin skin to make disciples make disciples so we we got to look at this long haul. How do we slowly restructure to build a movement of multiplication? That's hey,
1: great. So now, me, hey, Ray, let me go say, one before you jump into the sure. four chair Disciple, Let me go one layer deeper right here. Sure. Uh, because if if we know if you've identified these five parameters and you're measuring that all over the world, right, to create the multiplication mm-hmm. movement, if we know what that is and we're studying the life of Christ and we've learned these things. Then why is creating and maintaining this healthy church so rare and so difficult? Is it because of the we're trying to put the new wine in the old wine skin? Is it as simple as that? Do you have any thoughts? Well, it's simple,
3: yes, but it's very complicated. In that, yeah, we try to create that disciple making system and pour it into the old wine skin, which was about health or about growth or about Sunday school services or Sunday school or about. You know, outreach seeker, sensitive, or and and the two don't mesh. So what I love in Jesus, and and this is not an easy take, but Jesus showed us how to slowly build this movement of multiplication. Jesus came into a very religious, churchy churchiosity world. I say, I mean, the people were very religious in Jesus' day. So how did he create this movement of multiplying disciples that was? Not like it built on the foundation of Jewish system, but different, a new wine skin. And Mm -hmm. and so that's what I love to see in Jesus. Because over 40 times, Jesus said, do what I've done, walk as I walk, follow the pattern I gave you. And we've lost a clear understanding of the process of how Jesus built multiplying disciples.
1: Mm. So good. So good. Now, um, Dr. Spader, we, we did talk about the four-chair discipline. I've thrown that out already. And when I first got here to Georgia, that was actually not just the first book, but the first series of books that I read. I'd heard your name. Um, I'd heard some, maybe some podcast stuff that you had been on, and I was just intrigued with the life of of Christ. So I, I, That's the first thing I read. Now, could you give us, just begin to walk through an overview of those four chairs? And I think Ray and I probably would jump in at different points here, maybe to to clarify things, but it, but sure. I really want our listeners to track with these four chairs and see what that means for who they are as a disciple, but how they're creating disciple making systems.
3: Sure. Scott, I would love to. Um let, let me just say this up front. Um, and again, this is my passion, this is my heart. And if you're ever around me, you'll you'll probably this will probably come out, but it's our Christology, our understanding of Jesus that that determines our missiology, why we exist, what the church is about, that ultimately settles our ecclesiology, how we do church.
2: Hmm. And
3: so uh, this is my passion, that we get back to understanding the real Jesus who walked on this earth. So I always say there are two ways to exegete Jesus, or tear Jesus' life apart. One is how we build a movement. That's what leaders need to understand. That's the five phases that I just referenced in Growing Healthy Church. But the second thing that's really critical, and a lot of pastors really have found helpful, is how did Jesus make disciples who could reproduce? So how do you build a movement, and how do you make disciples? Well, the four chairs, the chair became a metaphor for us that really stuck Uh, on the issue of the challenges of Jesus. So Jesus had four basic challenges developmentally he gave to his initial followers. The first challenge was come and see. This is in John chapter one. He said, just show up. That's what it means. Just come and see, show up. And and that's for seekers, unbelievers. Then the second challenge, which he gave uh, not long after that, but it was a while later, he said, follow me. And it's a Greek word, akulaphello, it means to follow my steps, line up behind me, learn from me. It's is the challenge he gave to, to people who were believing in him. It's for believers. Then the third challenge was, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 16, and Matthew 4. Now, if you don't understand Jesus chronologically, so many people think that this happened within the first couple of weeks of Jesus. No. It was not until 18 months into the life of Christ, and this is my doctoral work, when I began to discover it, it gave me a whole new understanding of Jesus. 18 months after laying a foundation, spending time with his his disciples, he goes to five of them, not the 12 yet, and says, follow me, I will make you reproducing disciple makers, fishers of men. And so that becomes his team that he's going to start with, pour his life into. From that point on, you find Jesus 17 times with the masses, but 46 times with these few. Now, you don't have to be real smart to figure this one out. (laughs) If We want to do what Jesus did. It means we got to find a few that are faithful, available, teachable, who want more and invest in them and teach them to reproduce in their lives. That's what Jesus did. Immediately after he said, follow me, i make you fishers, men." We show biblically. He took his disciples on five mission trips, one about every six months, and, and seven fishing trips to teach them to reproduce. And each of them got harder and harder because his agenda, his laser focus was to get his few to the place where they could impart their lives to others and, and make a disciple because you haven't made a disciple until they reproduce. And why Jesus got so full of joy, Luke 10, 21, three and a half years into it, because his second generation disciples, not the 12, but the 72, began to reproduce. And Jesus said, yeah, I got it. I can go back now because the movement is happening. And the hardest thing to do in any church is to create that initial group of people who can reproduce their life in others without having to rely on a pastor to lead people to Christ.
2: Dr. Spader, can I, can I jump in here for just a second? Sure. You said something and, and you know, in the last two years, um, what we do is we spend time with disciple makers and pastors who have this passion to make yeah. disciples. And and we've just had this conversation just yesterday. Um, I think most people and a lot of pastors miss the importance of what you said from the very beginning. And most people believe that you know, Jesus spent the first you know thirty you know years of his life. Um, we're not sure what we we have the one time at the temple. We don't have a lot of information there. He goes into the wilderness. He comes out on the first day of the wilderness. He picks this twelve and he begins this ministry from day one. And yeah. and when you look at that, man, there is so much importance there of what you're saying that. He he begins this process. There's 18 months of come be with me. I like what Mark Ganey says about that second invitation. Yeah. You know where we say it's uh, yeah. you know follow me. It's yeah. be with me. It's yeah. spend time with me. And it's 18 months later. Yeah. You know. So what comes out of this is I think most pastors, and this is what I did for years. We we go to the organization first, and mm-hmm. we try to get the organization on board. We try to change the organizational plan, the wineskin. skin. Mm-hmm. From day one, because yeah. we have the passion, yeah. but we don't have the people there. And that's not what Jesus did. I mean that that is just that changed my whole philosophy of yeah. disciple making. You time.
3: have you have to change the values before you try to change the structure.
2: Mm-hmm. And and
3: that just takes time. That's the that's the hard work of discipling, imparting your life to others to say. I want to reach my friend. Can you help me? Now we can take an event we do and turn it into an outreach to help people mm-hmm. succeed at reaching their friend. Yeah. And uh-huh. so it's, uh, yeah. And then it's fascinating to me. This had this was my doctoral. I had to defend this on my doctoral dissertation. I was stunned when I was studying the harmony in Jesus' life to discover it wasn't until two and a half years into it, he appointed the twelve. And, and I'm convinced the 12, a lot of people will say, well, these are the mature disciples. No, the 12 were like the elders of the church. They were the leadership team that was going to oversee the movement. So they were just a byproduct. The movement had grown because he had disciples who were reproducing and he needed leaders to help manage the system and carry on when he left. So I see, I, I love to train church planners because I literally say, you want to plant a church? Go back and do it the way Jesus did. There is a process of building a movement of multiplying disciples. And that's the beauty of the understanding Jesus chronologically.
1: Gosh, that's really good. Now, let me, let me get into a practical question that sure. um, was posed to me in the last week from one of our pastors mm-hmm. who's trying to make these shifts. And he said this, when I'm a step, like he's, he's in a traditional church, 160 something years old. They've got the worship, they've got the Sunday morning group system in place. So he's trying to create some disciple-making groups within his existing groups system, right? So here's this question. Does he target, when he's creating these disciple-making groups, do you target believers or do you target lost lost people with the come and see? Because, you know, the come and see is your, your first chair. Do you have any thoughts that you would share in creating these disciple-making groups? Do you go completely Um, after those who are believers and then try to train them? Or or do you see some people going after non-believers, getting them in there, leading them to Jesus, and then starting that process? I don't think there's a right
3: answer to that,
1: Scott, Mm -hmm. because I've seen all three.
3: And I say one approach is just go after the lost and start with new followers of Jesus, win the lost. Church planners often have to start there. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I've seen others go with believers that have been around for a while, but influential and change their heart to fall in love with Jesus again. For me, in my ministry, it was both then. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had some friends who were seekers in a, in a group with, with more mature believers. And I just, you see, to me, the key here is I don't want to make disciples. I want people to fall in love with the real Jesus. Mm -hmm. and if if I can I I always say pastors the very first thing you got to do is fall in love with Jesus again you the real Jesus now I know pastors love Jesus but go back and look at his life and this is why in every book I've written you'll find something about the humanity of Christ yeah because that was a game changer for me because so many people I heard you hundreds, if not thousands of times. Well, Dan, you keep talking about Jesus, but Jesus was God and I'm not. Hmm. And I said, oh my goodness. Finally, I began to wrestle with that and study that and teach that. And it changed me personally, because yes, Jesus was fully God. But when he walked on this earth, he was fully human. He veiled his deity so that his humanity could be expressed. That's why he said 40 times, do what I did. Walk as I walk. Follow the pattern I gave you. If you don't fully understand how fully human Jesus was, you'll tend to think, well, I can't do it because Jesus was God and I'm not. So I'll just try my best. That's faulty theology. Jesus said you can even do greater things than I did well what did he mean he had four years to make disciples god's grace we have 40 years so the i I feel the first thing is for pastors you gotta fall in love with the real jesus again the fully human jesus that that felt everything that cared about people learn his strategy learn his heart i love how Philippians says we're to think and act just like jesus a lot of times we want to focus on acting like Jesus without thinking like Jesus. You got to get to His heart, and so when you get changed with Jesus, you're not—you don't have to talk about discipling. Just talk about Jesus. Now, granted, when you start talking about Jesus, you're going to end up talking about discipling, because that's he said it—that was His mission. You see, His mission was not to reach the world. His mission was to make disciples capable of reaching the world. And he said, now do what I did. What's that? Make disciples. But fall in love with Jesus. Uh, get his heart and, and let that overflow to those you want influence. And don't even talk about discipling. That sounds crazy coming from somebody who, who's written books on discipling. Just talk about Jesus, fall in love with Jesus. You know, I, I get very tired of a lot of how-to seminars, but I never tire of talking about Jesus because he's a very deep well every year if not every day I go deeper in the life of Christ and it's just not the red letters in the bible or the four gospels even though I start there it's the whole bible because all scriptures point to Jesus I was doing first Samuel 15 last night with my life group and we end up talking about Jesus it's good word because he's in he's in the old testament so that, yeah. that's that's the heart we got to get back to.
1: Now let me clear, clarify something here. Um, again, I know I know Ray's filled with questions just like I am, but I want to clarify some because as I've read your material mm-hmm. and I've I really have studied these four chairs. You yeah. know, the come and see, the follow me, become fishers of men, the the go bear fruit. It seems to me that at every level. There is a commitment to be made. There is a there's a yes to put on the table at every level. And, and not just a, a one-time yes up front. And right. then everything falls in place and it just works. But it seems to me, that, you know, at the come and see, you know, there's a yes to be put on there. When I'm as a believer, when I'm to follow him, when I'm my actions, there's a yes to, to become fishers of men. I've got to I've got to put my yes on that table. The bearing fruit is is a daily. I'm committing to follow, to bear fruit. And um, am I seeing that correctly? Oh,
3: absolutely. Because what Jesus does is he leads us deeper and deeper and deeper into the costs of following him. Mm. But when we're there, it's not a cost. It's a privilege. I always say the cost of going bear fruit is to suffer, serve, and sacrifice. Yay! (laughs) <laughs> because that's where we're at at that point. I just, I've written an article on the cost of leading a movement because a lot of pastors say, I want to lead a movement. <clears throat> but then you start studying the co- what's going to cost you. It's going to cost you a lot, but there's great joy in that suffering, servitude, and sacrifice. If you understand Jesus, I mean, that's what Jesus did. He laid down everything for the joy set before him. And that's, that's to me, again, the beauty of the life of Christ. Yes, there's a cost at each level. And yeah. Jesus, so masterfully, this is the genius of Jesus. I don't do it. I wish I could do it half as well as he did. He, he could quickly identify what chair people are in, if you want to use that metaphor, what challenge they're at. And then he could move them <clears throat> to the next challenge and, and be content with the fact that a lost person began to follow Or or become come and see, and he he didn't have to get them converted right away. And then once they became the faith, then he challenged them to the next level. Hmm. And that's the beauty of discipling because the key thing here, and Scott, I know you know, as you probably talked about, but just I, I struggle with the word discipleship. I know a lot of people use it. We're not called to go and do discipleship, we're called to go and make disciples and disciple making. This is a term we only use, and at the church where I did the major training, we just banned the word discipleship, because mm. disciple making is the whole process of being a friend of sinners, winning the loss, all the way through sending out proven missionaries. Mm. That whole journey, whole, whole process, is disciple making. So it, it's a it's a big bucket.
1: Yeah. That's great. Now, Ray, I think you you were asking me questions earlier about that fourth chair. Did you want to jump in here?
2: Yeah. So, then that's what I was thinking because uh, you know you talk about, and I've heard you preach a sermon recently on 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 bearing much fruit. And when yeah. Jesus gets to John chapter fifteen, you know he 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 talks about no fruit, some fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And you talked about barriers that exist. You know, Scott, you were asking that question: Is there a yes at each of these? And I think there is a yes because there's a barrier. That, that has to has to kind of be broken through, but Dr. Spader, I know we don't have a lot of time with this, right. but maybe we can just kind of, what what are some of those barriers, and then ultimately getting to that much fruit, um, what does that look like in the life of Bleer? What's the target? What's the goal?
3: Yeah, uh, that's a great question, and I'll just say this up front, because we don't have a lot of time. Uh, I've written a whole chapter on this uh, in the Four Chair Discipling, if you want to dig deeper, but <clears throat> There is a barrier between each of those chairs. The first barrier is sin. And that's seen if, you know, he cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Well, I don't believe, I believe that's a bad translation. The barrier there, he's uh, in a vineyard, uh, a, a grapevine will fall off the trellis, get down in the mud. And what does the gardener do? He comes and lifts up that, cleans off that branch, and ties it back up on the trellis so that it can get back in the sunlight so that eventually it can bear fruit. Well, this is what Jesus said here. Don't sin as a first barrier. You get down in the mud, you will ultimately become like a branch that dries up and wither. So we got to help people who in the come and see chair, in order to get to follow me, to deal with biblical repentance, cleanse living, The barrier between fruit and more fruit, chair two and three, is the barrier of pruning. Jesus said, every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes it so it'll bear more fruit. Now, pruning biblically is really critical. Um, Pruning is when you take away good things from your life. Mm. Because every branch I was in, we were talking about this, I was in the, the Biltmore, and they had a guy that had a PhD in pruning. He's written a book about this. Christian guy, caring for their vineyard. I had an incredible conversation with him. He said, pruning is the most important thing that a gardener did, which is the father. Father is the gardener in that passage. And he studies every branch carefully. Every branch will have 10 to 12 clusters of grapes. And so the gardener says, I've got to prune some of those back. Because if I leave those 10 or 12 clusters, they'll each grow, and then they'll have 10 to 12 each. And in 20 years, that vine will be dead because it become a tangled web of programs or activities, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and you'll not produce any fruit. So the gardener comes and he cuts out, if it has 10 to 12 clusters, he cuts out 10 and allows two, so they become rich and luscious clusters of grapes. And the gardener told me, he said, you know, if you prune well, that branch will can last for 100 years of fruitful bearing, fruit bearing. Mm-hmm. And, and so Churches are going through this right now, I believe, because of COVID. And, and God prunes. Pruning is when God takes away good things in our life. And, and some of the pastors listening are probably being pruned right now, and it's really painful. Mm-hmm. God, they, God took something good from their life, maybe a relationship, a friend, a family member, or a, a job. Or, and, but God does that. You don't have to pray for pruning. Just It's going to come. So pruning discipline it's different than pruning discipline is when God takes bad things out of our life, but they both feel the same. And so a disciple realizes when people are going through tough times, we have to ask, is this discipline taking away bad things or pruning? Both are important. Mm -hmm. And then the last barrier is the barrier of, of satisfaction between more fruit and much fruit because in church, you know, three in between chair four, we get satisfied. Look at all this fruit I'm bearing. Yay! Christian life is great. And God says, no, I want you to want more. You can see a movement. Don't get satisfied. Don't say, oh, God, you're so lucky to have me. Look at all the fruit I'm bearing. God (laughs) wants to give us one or two ideas. And I could tell you, oh, a lifetime of stories about how God gave our leaders one or two ideas that like um, opened the door that spread to tens of thousands of people because God gave the idea. Hmm. And and that's that we get satisfied with being in more fruit when God wants to see much fruit. And then when you bear much fruit, God gets glorified. Uh,
1: That is rich. And, Hmm. And what I love about what you just said was, you said there's a perspective there that in American Christianity, we seem to have a self-absorbed egocentric faith and, and church building system where it's about how we feel and what we can get from where we're going, which leads into because our time is winding down. So I really want to focus on this one last question with you, Doc, because after decades of people um, of, of making disciples, you know, with over 750,000 people in 90 countries, you've got a pretty good perspective of how folks are making disciples here in in America, but also overseas. So here's what I wanna ask you, what differences do you see between the American approach that seems to be limited results and the disciple making movements that are happening around the world? Because I really want, you know, if there's some things that you could draw out, you know, that points to what we're doing that don't seem to be working, but also if there's something overseas that is working, that our, there's some nuggets of practical that our folks can attach to. I'd love to hear that.
3: Yeah. And that's a great question. I, I think the soil is very different in every part of the world. And I believe the soil in America has become hardened. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that because I don't want to beat up any pastors because they're not seeing rapid movements and multiplication, but like I just from India, We've got a guy that's planted 57,000 churches. He's a former businessman, 38 years old. He had 56,000 baptisms last year. And I said, this can't be true. I went over and saw, it's the real thing. Benjamin's doing, but the culture, and he's doing it in a place, God gave him a key to unlock the door. So that is a movement. We see all kinds of movements like that. In America, we're beginning to see it. So I think we have to go back and, and break up the hardened ground, Isaiah 28 we got to plow. That's when the tractor works the hardest in the field. If you ever watch a tractor plow, when it's breaking up the hardened ground, that's what Isaiah 28 says. Then you cultivate, then you disc, then you plant seeds. And, and if you study Isaiah 28, there are five types of plants that are planted. Every seed is planted at a different depth, a different time, and different way. We've got to, in America, get back to, to plowing up hardened ground, building relationships with the lost, plant, you know, planting seeds in different ways about the truth of the good news of the gospel. And then ultimately you will reap. So it, we just have to work the system that God's given us, the soil God's given us. I'll just say one more thing real quickly. If we have time, I, I think in America, my, this is my greatest fear. Everybody is talking disciple making right now. Yeah. That scares me mm-hmm. because every five years in America, we have a new buzzword. Yeah. It goes from buses to seeker services to church health. To, there's a new buzzword. All the books are written. And then we say, now what's the next buzzword? Mm-hmm. Well, how do you move away from distopemaking? Yeah. There is no next step. This is it. We got to figure this out. Yeah we got to pour our lives into making disciples. There is no next step. This is it. And I hope disciple making doesn't become a buzzword in North America.
2: Amen. Any final thoughts, Ray Sullivan? Oh, I'm just, I'm eating this up. I I appreciate you, Dr. Spader. You have been uh, very influential for me. And I know a lot of guys and I appreciate the work that you have been doing and you continue to do. And uh, man, just spending this time with us today and, and I would just encourage our leaders today: uh, think about the process. You know, I was saying something to a group of guys yesterday. I think we posted something. Disciple making is not a program. We mm-hmm. talked about how the programs will come along later to, that will support, but disciple making is a movement. And just look at Jesus. Just, just, man, just watch what he did. I have spent the last two years just reading the New Testament in a way I've never read it before. Thirty years in the pastorate. And I have just been reading it from the perspective of disciple making. What did Jesus do? Not just the red letters, as you said, but what did he do? Why did he do it? Why did he do it in different ways at different times? And thinking those disciples were always there watching. We don't have to come up with a new strategy. Strategies there. So thank you for reminding us of that.
3: And my deepest prayer is, Ray, is that we will so fall in love with Jesus again. Mm. Just maybe we might have another spiritual awakening in America. Mm. Because when they saw the Lord, then they saw their sinfulness and said, woe is me. Depart from me. Lift up Jesus, the real Jesus, not just the message of Jesus, but the model of who he really was. That's, I think, our only hope here in America, Mm. getting back to
1: Jesus, Ah, so good. Dan, you are a joy and a reservoir of wisdom and encouragement. Thanks for being on with us today. Now, for those who who may want to connect with you, may want to invite you to speak or to, to get resources, is there a place that folks can connect with you, website, social media? Um, we
3: have a number of them. Probably the key one is uh, uh, likejesus.church. Uh, that's where we have our our like Jesus material for chair, live like Jesus, walk like Jesus. So it's like Jesus.church. I uh, think also go to danspader.com, d a n n spader.com. Uh, my email, I'd be glad to, is dan, d a n n, at g y i global youth initiative.cc. It's unusual, short, but it works. So I'd, I'd love to interact with people any way I can serve. I have limited, obviously, speaking engagements, but But if I can serve in any way and talk about Jesus, uh, rarely do I have to pray about those kind of opportunities.
1: Absolutely. And if you put that name in there, make sure to type it. Don't speak the text. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Now, leaders, listen, Uh, so much of what we're talking about involves creating an intentional culture of disciple making that's based on a Jesus model. Dr. Spader's work will help you understand what it looks like. And for our 40 learning communities, this would be a great book for you to jump into Mm -hmm. to uh, once you finish the watershed principle and um, to be able to learn and be able to be a disciple who creates disciples and makes disciple making systems. But here's the problem. If you don't set a purposeful biblical disciple making culture, you will experience what I call a culture drip. Mm -hmm. And this is when your disciple making pipeline is broken or it's ineffective. And what's in that line is going to drip out. And eventually it's going to saturate the area. Now, friends, if you're not intentionally setting the culture in your ministry, in your family, a culture you do not desire will establish itself. And you're going to be playing catch up the rest of your life in ministry. Mm -hmm. So leaders, if we slack or if we fail at anything, it must not be in the area of making disciples. That's what our consultants here in Georgia do, and, and we're ready and to serve and to help you establish and maintain a biblical model for making disciples that will live beyond your ministry. Dan Spader, Ray Sullivan, thank you for joining me today. Great being with you. Enjoyed you it. Lana Melton, thanks for producing, and John Graham, and I want to remind our listeners that we're only able to do this because you give generous, generously to the cooperative program, so thank you for that, and I pray today's Discussion with Dan and Ray will equip you to think often, invest intimately, and dream big as we make world impacting disciple makers.
0: Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org slash discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple makers.